people welcome back to, to calling all beings do you like it when i say it? it's really really nice there a little falsetto very, very pleasant. <laughs> i like you know i like to put a little bit of so it doesn't sound just too violent you know a little bit of singing is nice julie's there hi julie uh but anyway welcome to calling all beings we are expecting oh and here he is he has just arrived we'll bring him on stage here in a minute oh and he looks better than me even backstage um, but I'm your host, DJ, along with the co-host, the co-creator, the technical director, executive producer of Calling All Beings, Mommy Money Nathan. What's up, everybody? Happy Wednesday. Welcome to Calling All Beings. It's been a spell since we've had a show. Going to be back in the chair, back behind the mic. And uh, I'm excited about this show, man. This is uh, some really interesting footage, and, and I know John is super passionate about it. It's going to be a fun conversation. It is. I just watched the video again. But before we get into my man, the special guest, let's talk about my homie, a study of UAPs, our researcher, someone who has blanketed the community with. So, you know, she shares a lot of, a lot with our, our guest, John. So, uh, Debs, how, how are you, ma'am? De Deb? Yeah. I'm having some technological issues, but hopefully all will be well. I also am hoping to have a fun conversation about footage that's out in the public sphere and what that means for us. And and so which uh, which intelligence ag agency is targeting you tonight, Debs? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Pick an alphabet. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, we can just choose from any one of them. They, they don't want her to speak. Uh, Julie's in the chat. Hi, Jules. Uh, we haven't talked to you in a bit. I hope you're feeling well. Um, namaste. Uh, Jacques Valet is in the building, and I'm sure some of the other Cabadelic homies uh, will be here in short order. But without further ado, you know what? This guy right here, I became aware of this gentleman just a few days ago. Um, so just to set the table and you know, I'll let I'm going to turn it over to Nathan later on in the interview for just, you know, what I sort of put out about this video when I saw it. But, uh, you know, because I want you to sort of hear the way I came across to the other cabbies when I discovered this. Uh, I have never seen this video before. I think it was a week to two weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago. I had never seen this video in my life. Uh, I may have heard of it, but never seen it. Um, and then I, I, I put it out to to the cabbies. Um, but then uh, one of our friends, uh, Vinny Adams of Disclosure Team, who you've seen us promo on here several times, um, sent to me, you know, hey, DJ, did you see this video from, video from uh, Richard Dolan, uh, an interview with this gentleman who's an investigator uh, of this very thing that you are ranting and raving and and bending our ears about and i'm like no what 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 so i went on richard's channel and, and watched him and um 
I reached out with the information that uh, John gave out, and he was kind enough to make some time after a trip to Vegas, which may or may not have been in pursuit of one of the witnesses that he's been after. Um, so without further ado, uh, party people, put those hands together for the 54-year-old former professional wrestler, politician, businessman, and respected UFO investigator, John Stewart! I get it. Man, for John Stewart! Amen. Welcome, brother. Amen. I can say I've never had a funner week communicating with the podcast team than I did this week. (laughs) My wife and I were laughing because my wife and I, you know, my wife is from Chicago. I'm from Chicago. We grew up like four blocks away from each other in like the Italian, Northwest Italian side of Chicago. So my wife and I, like our, our, uh, our couple language, our, our movie lines from Goodfellas and casinos. So, uh, so DJ and I were just, uh, it's been, it's been a really fun week with you guys, you know, so talking you know, and whatnot. Uh, some of my friends over at the aerospace company that shall remain nameless I work for, yes. I'll, I'll refer to the program managers as the boss and their technical lead as their consigliere and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> and you have papos on underbox crew, street crew, guys that are made, guys that aren't made. Uh, I love it. What you a, definitely look like week. DJ, you, you gave look, me a couple of laughs this week. Thank you, buddy. I needed it after last weekend and stuff. Thank you, brother. A fellow paisan uh, like myself. Absolutely. I'm from New York. You're from Chicago. Yep. Uh, and I got I did uh amateur wrestling. You did actual real professional wrestling. It's all good. Yeah. So anyway, um John, uh welcome. Uh and I thought, you know, I didn't I thought it was inescapable to start off with anything other than to just uh, to start off with you just kind of telling the audience about, uh, you know, who you are basically and how you you came to decide to take on this topic as a uh, a line of inquiry. Yeah, people have criticized my background, the keyboard warriors, as not worthy of someone investigating anything serious like, you know, extraterrestrial phenomenon, worldwide, global cover up of this extraterrestrial phenomenon, the government complicit in covering up the literally the biggest story in human history. Um, but it is my background that has propelled me to investigate this, has given me the tenacity to continue when probably most people would have quit and has given me the the thick skin to weather the skeptics and and to accept the skeptics and to weather the naysayers and the keyboard warriors and the doom and gloomers and you'll never be able to solve the truth, which is all I've ever wanted to do, simply solve the truth of the 1997 Area 51 alien interview brought out by the whistleblower, Victor. So I was a high school football star. I went to Memphis State University, um, took an invited walk-on Uh, offer uh, to get a scholarship sophomore year if I got my grades up. Spring football, I started training in Jerry Lawler's wrestling promotion and started becoming a professional wrestler while still at Memphis State. I was a professional wrestler on and off for 20 years. Now, let me, I want to, can I just, for one minute, I was 19 years old 
and got myself into the world of pro wrestling in the mid eighties, which was akin to the mafia. You had to finagle your way in. You had to prove you were able to keep the secret. You trained with guys that were trained in the fifties who really wanted to stretch you and hurt you. I traveled around the mid South and really the world before my 21st birthday with 40 and 50 year old men, many of whom were jealous and didn't want me to take their spot. You know, when people like glibly or, or when people just haphazardly throw away the fact that I was a former pro wrestler, like it's something to be embarrassed about. And it's something that I shouldn't be as a UFO investigator. I laugh in their face. I think it's the greatest thing that I have is that I've experienced and weathered being a pro wrestler in the eighties at 19. I mean, it's, it was a prison yard in a rock and roll touring group all in one, you know, um, with corporate politics and who's going to shiv you like literally the fans, you know, I was a bad guy, the fans wanting to, to, to kill you, hit you, punch you, destroy your car, other wrestlers wanting to hurt you. It was a mean, terrible, nasty, industry um that i willfully got into so can i you know can i advocate for you for a second absolutely Uh, people people that that think that pro wrestling is just some of this fake thing there are many who have gone to uh different promotions when they'll have open tryouts and normally they don't make it past the first session um because they can't uh physically make it so uh you're talking about uh extremely tough people and a lot of pro athletes don't know how they can deal with the injuries and still get up there and perform and, 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 and a very, very violent sport that happens to be entertainment. Uh, you have my utmost most respect. Um, I also share with you. I also was a college walk on the thing that really separates the two of us. That's kind of upsetting is that you're a lot better looking than me. Um, so that kind of bugs me, you know, as, as, as a paisan, but I want to reframe the interview. Oh, you are so uh, funny. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I want to reframe the interview. You don't, one of the things you're going to love about Cab is you don't have to defend crap to anybody out there. We are asking you not to defend why I, we, I believe uh, in you. That's why you're here. Yeah. Um, okay. So I don't care if they're, I don't care what anybody thinks about your bona fides, just kind of telling yeah. who you are without yeah. having to, you don't have to prove anything to anybody. Right. Um, okay. You've already you. proved it. So, Thank so you. if you would from there and then yeah. take us like into, you know, obviously it, it, yeah. what you told us, how determined you are to get through what you did. Yeah. So that, and, that, and that helped you in your yeah, future and, endeavor. And, and again, you know, just kind of like, just think about, all of the people that I've experienced. So when my wrestling career, when the wrestling business was at its lowest point in 93, I didn't really stick in it because the money started getting terrible and my body started breaking down. I didn't look good physically and the phone was ringing less and less. I had, I had ached by wrestling for the light heavyweight championship of the world on ESPN for Vern Gagne's AWA, which I thought was a pretty remarkable thing. So I ended up getting into the automobile business, which is what my family has been into since 1963. I started off as an automobile wholesaler, then eventually took over my family's car dealership. And two years ago, my dad went into hospice and I took a buyout on, on the business land 
uh, a lease from a big corporation. So I still own the property, which is great because I'm a professional wrestler that survived and is living in a one bedroom apartment, you know, broke. So right. I, I, I broke, I broke those bounds. And, um, uh, I've, I've done some, uh, investigative producing and packaging for reality shows, none that have made it on TV, but that, what that did is have me, uh, be around producers and production companies who call me once in a while to, you know, ask me my ideas on stuff. And I'm just going to take a sip. Sorry. No, please. Right in. So. Um, I also ran for Congress in 99. I ran for uh, Illinois governor in 2018. Uh, my camp, I was the first political client of Kellyanne Conway, President Trump's uh, legalist legal counsel. Uh, she was my, I was her first political client in 97. I ran for uh, governor in 2018 because I was truly upset at the way the state of Illinois was going. And and then COVID kicked in. Okay. So it is, I just, I just checked on this. So it's January 3rd. We're getting into the story now. It's January 3rd, <laughs> yeah. 2019. We're into COVID mm-hmm. and a producer named Adam Wilkenfeld calls me from Los Angeles. Hey, look, everything shut down. Do you have any ideas for a just add water documentary? Something real quick. You and I can put together with my team in like three or four weeks. And I, told him a few ideas and about this crazy, bizarre video, the alien interview video. And he's like, look, way too complicated for us to get into right now. Boy, was he right on that. And so I'm driving home and I'm coming home early because it's COVID, everything shut down. And, you know, I've got some time for the first time since, you know, without being a wrestling injury or on a vacation. And I remember sitting in my car. I remember, you know, it was like one o'clock in the afternoon and this video is bothering me because we were just talking about it. And the point of bringing up what was a football player and a wrestler and a businessman, you know, I'm an alpha male. I'm a hunter. You know, I, I, I like to hunt things and, and, you know, go after things and accomplish things that just my personality. So it was important. I'm glad you let me bring up my bio because it, it was that personality trait that let me say, let me find right now in my car something about that film that I can either prove or disprove that it's a hoax, right? Some animatronic guy had to pop his head up in the past 30 years on the internet to say, I built that alien doll. Somebody had to, you know, put something on the internet that, hey, look, that film was real. I was down in that facility with Victor the whistleblower, something. Because I had not retouched it really for uh, for for many many years. So there's this crazy bizarre monitor in the film next to the alien. We still haven't identified what it is after five years. The the blip goes up and down, not across. Very bizarre. It looks real. We heard people on the documentary saying that it was it was going up and down and. Uh, in a coordination with the beans coughing because the bean had a respiratory issue. Mm-hmm. And so being a, trying to be a good investigator, I find three guys that are doing their PhD thesis on the history of physiological monitors. I'm going to kind of like speed this up now. And they write me back within a half hour after seeing the, the video. We've never seen this before in our lives. These are the three guys 
teach experts doing a thesis on the history of physiological monitors. We've never seen it before in our lives. We saw we can't help you. I find out that Space Labs and Hewlett Packard made physiological monitors in the 80s and 90s. Victor tells us this film and obviously the monitor is from 1991. Mm -hmm. So being the alpha male of a hunter, I call up Space Labs and they um, write me back. I'm sorry, I call up Hewlett Packard. Mm -hmm. My question is answered via email. We have absolutely no idea, and I have the emails. We have absolutely no idea what we are looking at. We have never seen this in our our research and development, or nor is this mass-produced. Now, this documentary was brought out by a second-tier video production company in a strip mall in Beverly Hills. You know, not Paramount or Warner Brothers, so that's very important. Now I call Space Labs. I get a late 60s engineer in the research and development department, as crazy as that sounds, on the phone. I said, can I send you a video? Sure. Send him the video. Call him back. Picks up the phone. Crusty old guy. He's like, I don't know what I'm, I don't know what I'm looking at. I said, well, you're, (laughs) you, you, you make monitors. I said, did you make monitors for NASA? I said, yeah, I was, came in on, in 1969 and, like, so you made monitors for NASA, you're in the uh, space labs, uh, physiological monitoring department, research and development. You've never seen this before in your life. He's like, absolutely not. I've said, have you seen this at a trade show, a conference? Have someone brought it up as a concept? You know, maybe like the car business, the weird concept cars. He's like, I've never seen it before in my life. And I'm like, okay, I, I appreciate that. I'm like, how could a strip mall company devise something that no one, no expert knows what it is. And before he hangs up, he says, well, hold on. This might be a one-off. OFF. I'm like, oh, this is, you know, to myself, I'm like, oh, this is, forget me, might get somewhere. I said, what is a one-off? He said, well, anytime you have a situation where you're trying to figure it out and there isn't a device to help you, let's say if you're looking for metal in 1890, you'd want to create a metal detector, a one-off metal detector, which is a great analogy. He goes, you would, you know, implement and build a device to help you figure out a certain situation. I said, don't laugh at me. Would you build a physiological monitor, especially for an off-planet being who did not have a traditional heart and lung organ makeup in their thorac- thoracic region? He doesn't hang up. He doesn't laugh. And he goes, well, that's exactly what you'd have to do. Because like you said, the alien doesn't have a regular human heart. So a human physiological monitor is not going to work on, not going to work on this guy. Okay. Um, Okay. Uh, Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you for not laughing at me. And I hung up and I'm sitting in my car and you know, when you're about to take the, you know, the plunge off the cliff, right? We've all had this moment like, oh God, do I stop now or do I keep going? And I'm like, wait a minute. Nobody knows, has ever seen this physiological monitor. If this is hoaxed by the second tier production company, how could they have devised a physiological monitor that is in sync with the bean? Okay. And and nobody has ever seen it before. That, that, that's hard for me to fathom. Now, this is what I hope you people and you guys enjoy about me. I'm going to tell you the flip side of everything. No UFO researcher will tell you the devil's advocate. I, I, I mean, in my opinion, I tell mm-hmm. people I'm wrong. 
I tell people I still don't know the whole 100% truth. Mm-hmm. I'm proud of the way I am in the UFO community. So let me tell you what special effects guy said. Yeah, of course, monitor experts aren't going to know what that is because it's not a real monitor. It's probably, it's called set dressing. It's just an additional device to hype up the video, to make it look mysterious. It's probably two panes of glass with an LED light bar and somebody on a servo tapping the light bar to go up Mm -hmm. and down. That's why you don't see it going across. You know, being open with people. I'm like, that's very interesting. Two panes of glass because you can't see anything except just maybe like the glass in the two brackets. So that's interesting. So I've, I've, I've gotten nowhere except that, you know, we haven't conclusively done anything. Then I remember what Senator John McCain said to me in a bus campaign rally, because on the bottom of this film is David November in India slash 27, which Victor says stand for, stands for the Department of Naval Intelligence. Let me just give you a very brief history. The Defense Intelligence Agency in 1962 took over the alien phenomenon, the alien program from the Air Force and CIA. They built a facility called S2 Alpha, 15 miles southwest of Area 51, 1962. They take over the program. The extraterrestrial program goes from Project Gleam and renamed to Project Aquarius by the DIA. Should we sing that song now? This is the... Okay, we don't have... This is the dog. What would be great is to hear John do that with the Chicago accent. That would be awesome. No. I'm sorry. Um, So, okay, so that's that. So, but, Mm -hmm. but in these interview suites in S2 Alpha, where the alien retention and interrogation program exists, and I'll get to how I found that out, agencies are allowed to question these beings, as outlandish as that sounds. So the DAA runs the program but other agencies are allowed to insert questions into these interview sessions. Are, 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 do, are you following me? Yes. I, I, okay, we've got a frame of reference for this. Okay. But one thing we got to do, John, we got to get, yeah. we got to get these guys to ask you some questions and then we're, and then we're just going to let you freestyle. Like we're in a rap battle. Okay. Okay. All right. So uh, money, Nathan, uh, obviously Richard Dolan had no problem matching up with John's looks because he's got the hair. Richard Dolan has the great hair and you know, neither John nor I can match that. So no. go ahead, Nathan. He's a legend. Uh, well, I was wondering, so John, uh, if you would indulge me, I'd be happy to play the, the brief clip of the interview. Cause that Let's might do it. Yeah. And I pulled this from your YouTube page. Right. Um, so let me put that on screen here. And uh, it's not very long, so we'll, we'll just kind of go through it. Okay. So what you're looking at is the interview suite down at S2 Alpha. Uh, this is the administration building that sits on top of the AHC, the alien housing complex. You'll see into, into the, in the foreshadow is a, uh, a military person on the left. You're seeing his shadow on the upper, on the left of the foreshadow. There's another military aide to the right. This being, according to a document I received secretly, clandestinely, he is referred to as an other gray. He comes from the Galice, uh, 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 of the Galice solar system in the, in the reticulum star system. Uh, he is a haploid, which means he comes with only one sexual chromosome. 
Um, he is a non-placenta being. He's not even considered an animal. He is uh, the the uh, he is reproduction is done uh, in vitro, and um, he does the 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 female species of this 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 other gray um, does not carry a placenta in in her womb. She does not have a womb. They are part biological being, part android or mechanical. They um, uh, which is why they were termed in the 50s Eben, extraterrestrial biological entity. And uh, at this point, um, the being is starting to, what Victor says, medically flag. It's having a respiratory issue. Even though these beings eliminated microbial um, bacteria, they still have a lot of problems breathing our air. This being needed hyperbaric treatment once a day where about once every four weeks, it could last about an hour to two hours in breathing regular oxygen, but it was a struggle. You see that it is hunched over. This is the problem that this beings had dealing with our um, heavier atmosphere than their uh, than their um, than their own planet. And there you see the military aid on the right. He is now calling for the doctors. Um, the doctor on the beings left our right. I once thought was person named Dr. Craig McPherson. I was wrong. There's someone out there that thinks this is Connie Mariano with the flashlight, a female with the flashlight. I don't think it looks like a female, but God bless him if he thinks that, who was once the White House physician. I found the widow, the, the woman who is married to the doctor on the beans right or left. You got it. 80 years old, living in California. She saw this video. She said her husband was super secretive, never wanted to talk about his time in the Army Medical Corps. And she saw this video and she said, that's my husband's eyes and nose. That, that's, and she, he has a nickname. He died in around 2014. His wife identified him in that video and said he was super secret, never wanted to talk about his time in the Army Medical Corps when all of his other friends would talk about boot camp stories or funny stories about uh, where they were, where they were uh, stationed or the, the bad food or a drill instructor. And she actually told me that it was a point of contention between her and her doctor husband. And that I actually solved a mystery or, you know, like a, 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 a little relationship secret, why her husband was so secretive that he was involved in this very bizarre um, extraterrestrial program as one of its doctors. And this was all sent to me by a leaker who had a contact in the DIA who sent me the report about this stolen smuggled film, but the report called it a unauthorized viewing, which I thought was very military, military aristic. And it also gave me the names of the military men in the ringed seating area, like a, almost like a surgical gallery watching this interview too. And if you wanted me to go over each of the five or men, um, I will, but it was, it was amazing. They were all on Wikipedia. They were all Google. They were all the uh, two were alive, two were dead. Um, some were very high profile. Um, one other thing that, uh, guys need to know instead of plant, you know, being very clandestine with this information, I found trusted you, uf ufologist that I have shared every bit of data of this, of this interview and the aperture on my investigation has opened up into also investigating the Aquarius program, which was the government's umbrella program 
to study extraterrestrial contact on every level with Homo sapiens sapiens, which is humans. And that has gone has been the scary part of it, of, of it all. And it's almost like where the interview, the film is like secondary. And now, you know, I, I had to go into investigating the greatest cover-up and the greatest secret in human history, which I think I successfully did with the help of so many intelligent com intelligence community members, retired military insiders, other ufologists, other regular people in the UFO community that did email me little tidbits here and there where I was able to put together this mo this uh, prosaic puzzle of, 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 of this massive mystery. The, the, we have Project Queries, we have the facility name, we have the FOIA papers of when it was built, um, we have the uh, the code for Project Aquarius out at Papoose Lake. We have what security clearance you would need, which was called Yankee White and Yankee Black. Everything. Um, uh, I was given so much information, and, and I do just want to um, just make sure that I illuminate the help that I uh, of other people's help, because if it was not for the internet, if it wasn't for these kind. Uh, people in the in the ufology community, if it was not for these brave men who came to me and risked pension and career to help this, you know, fat guy from Chicago, you know, who's trying to figure out the greatest cover up in human history, I would not be here today. So um, it's uh, it, it it was and has been um, one hell of a five year ride, and um, five days ago. We actually, for the first time, saw Victor the whistleblower's face. Okay, now I, I've known his name for about a year, um, but we finally, I finally saw his face. Wow! Which after thirty years is like seeing your father that you've never met. I mean, that's how familiar this man is with me. And I describe him as an, like a, a like a tool, like the dork. But he's got a Corvette and a members-only jacket, and he's at a bar trying to pick up chicks. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, this is bombshell, because everyone thought Victor was Bob Dean, a ufologist. And, right. And, and they've shown the Analyzing his own video. <laughs> Pardon? Well, like in the documentary, Bob Dean Correct. is one of the analysts. So that would be, right. that would just, that would just make the whole thing a fake. And, right. and, it, and, and I want, I just, I just want to add one point to your point, no, John. I... And, and Nathan hasn't seen this yet, but the reaction that Victor has to seeing what we just saw, to seeing the being in distress, is the same as an individual I spoke with that has knowledge of these programs, inside knowledge of these. And he also attributed another person that he saw these types of videos with and had the same reaction. It's an emotional response to seeing something in distress that that looks genuinely in distress that you can feel it and i i think that's very tangible but i want to pass it back to nathan go ahead nathan yeah well i wanted to ask um so you've mentioned a great deal of corroborating evidence and even people who've been in sort of intelligence programs i was wondering of those individuals that have contacted you and reached out have they corroborated pieces of the story independent of each other? So are they given, did you get some information from one individual and another individual who doesn't even know the first individual? Have they given you similar information? So that, that would lead additional, I think, uh, 
credence to the to the, to the evidence that that occurred. You know, their podcasts are going to laugh at us right now. Like I gave you questions. I have told everyone that I can that one of the most bizarre. That's a great question, by the way. Thank you. I have told anyone that will listen to me one of the most bizarre and I and I'm I'm not a good speaker. So with formulating words, so bear with me. It is one of the most bizarre occurrences of this investigation. I will speak to a intelligence community member retired from the 60s. And then I speak to an intelligence community member or even another military uh, person from the 90s who don't know each other. They don't know they were different programs, different agencies, and they say the same thing. And this has not happened once. This has happened four or five times. Uh, Nathan, thank you. And, and, and to me, it is one of the strongest indications that these, these intelligence community members are not lying to me, that they are, that, that, that they, they all have this same narrative and it's not from, because they get the same information in boot camp or their indoctrination. It's, 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 it's bizarre. It's bizarre. Um, this just three days ago, I was talking with David Adair, who was in the documentary. He was a propulsion expert in the 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 sixties and seventies, and he says something to me. He goes, "John, you have to understand in Washington D.C. with all of these subcontractors and defense contractors and the military, information is the power. The more information you have, the more power you have. The more power you have, the more money you have." Because it's always about the money. Follow the money, right? Mm -hmm. This is a guy from the 50s and 60s. He's speaking to someone who's an active person in the intelligence community. He's in his late 20s. What do you think he says to me? Same thing. You know, he's like, you know, they don't want the secret to come out. Not because they're afraid the the world is going to know about aliens. They're afraid that they're going to lose control of their information, thus losing control of the power losing control of the money. He said, if you think, which I thought was funny that someone from a gap of 35 years, they're saying the same narrative. And he said something strange, which I think people really need to to understand. He goes, if you think these military three-letter agencies, they war with each other since the 50s. They war with each other over information, over, um, uh, over, over money, over position, over power, over placement at the, the overall intelligence table, an, a, a metaphor. And he said uh, they have actually been vicious with each other. He believes that there's murders have taken place, interagency murders. I'm talking, you know, 50, 60, 70, you know, Soviet era. Um, you know, spy crap, spy Tom Clancy stuff. He said they're vicious with each, with each other. And, and the American people have to understand it's not about the aliens. He said, John, they don't care about that you're investigating gray aliens. They don't care. They care that somehow you might usurp their information or throw the monkey wrench in, thus usurping their power and taking their money away. Because if you're the head of a three-letter agency and all of a sudden your budget's cut, you're laying off people, you're cutting people, you can't go any further, you lose your power, and this other agency is ahead of you, it's a big, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a playground in eighth grade, to be honest with you. And I don't mean to trivialize it to that way, but um, this is all about money and power, period.
Yeah, there, there's an interview with uh, uh, Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp do it in a director named Ernie Klein, and it, it came out yesterday. And I, I encourage everybody to listen to that because I think he contextualizes this entire cover-up in a way, first of all, his knowledge of history, Deb, uh, of, of the UFO subject will, will dazzle you, truly, uh, as a lot of these film guys do. They're just really well-read and researched. Yes. But his perspectives, I think, are very well thought out and maybe slightly different than maybe many of us have put it. But uh, Debs, please take your first shot. John Stewart. We need the music right there. Nathan, go ahead. (laughs) So one thing that I do is I try to put pieces of information together. Um, So (laughs) this is of course, meaning that I have 500 questions for you and I'm going to try to be concise as much as possible. Sure. But are you familiar with, the yellow book uh, and the Damn. blue, the um, I think it's called the Blue Planet Project. Yes. Because, okay, so does that, along with the other text known as the alien interview, connect? Like, are those um, materials that people could go find more information about this video from? Right. The Blue Planet manual book. Um, I can't vouch for it. I didn't write it. Right. I, mean, I know that's disappointing to UFO people. There's a UFO researcher that says, I don't know, but that's, I love when, when this is my, this is, this is my, my modus operandi. I didn't read that. It is extremely interesting. It has got a lot of information that I have heard from credible, you know, gentrified older military people that have been in the know and in the intelligence community. That's all I will say on that. I have heard from multiple sources that the yellow book, this telephone book size that can appear holographic uh, past events and whatnot. Uh, And I'm going to tell you a story here, but um, I've heard from many people that that the veracity of that uh, is true. So in my opinion, that there seems to be some validity to that. I want to finish about the yellow book with one story that happened to me. He was the most mild manner intelligence community member I have ever spoken to. One of the nicest people I have ever spoken to. Incredible patience. You deal with John Stewart. You have got to have patience. And I simply asked about um, Project Looking Glass. Now, there's the Looking Glass plane, plane the Air Force has, and there's other things. I'm talking about the government's secret program of looking into the future and divergent um, divergent possibilities of, of, of different outcomes. This person went bat shit crazy on me. Can you imagine for four years talking to this nice, mild-mannered man that you would, you know, a grandfather that would take his son to the ball game and have ice cream? He went loopy. Don't you ever talk about that again? Don't you ever ask me about that? Don't you ever ask about the government looking into the future? I will cut off. I will cut you off. I will cut off all communication. Don't you ever ask me about that again? I mean, I turned red face. I mean, I held the phone away. I I, I could not believe the reaction to this. So I think that there's something to the yellow book and um, all the things that have sprouted from that, the programs that are down in S 
or the lower level S4 and the yellow book claim is obviously they said that it, it what it was at one time down there and the things that the project uh, the blue planet talks about I would um I just tell people can't tell you for sure but it sure as hell um it sure as hell rings a bell and and touches a third rail with some intelligence community members that should tell you something I'm not giving it any validity. I'm just telling you my story. Deb, did you have any follow-up before I go to? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Project Pounce. Um, that is also linked to the, the EB story. Um, and I was just wondering how you came upon that name. You didn't mention it today. You mentioned it in a previous interview. Today, you used the other um, term, which is Project Aquarius. I'm just wondering where you um, were getting that information from, if that also came from like the blue book direction or something else. Um, actually it's a compilation of a lot of things. Let me just take one minute. Um, from what I have read, a couple of things that I've heard, here is my opinion that the first program project when, uh, it came from Truman, it was called project saucer that quickly turned into project gleam. G-L-E-E-M. This is the precursor to Aquarius. This That was also in the Ronald Reagan 1980 briefing. Um, Gleam um, also had, um, at one time, Pounce, which was the crash retrieval team. This is what I've read. One person has alluded to this. Then, then we go to Project Aquarius. With Project Aquarius, there was the STAR, S-T-A-A-R, which was a retrieval team. Who says so? The person running Project Aquarius, because we found him in an email and we had we have verified who he is. His name was Major Thomas Mack. His nickname was Fishface. He was a <laughs> beloved member in S2 and S4. Beloved. People loved him. And that was important because there was draconian measures down there. He writes in an email that the overall program uh, was Majestic 12. And Project Aquarius was down, was at Papoose Lake. The recovery team for Aquarius, Star, S-T-A-A-R. And um, we have had two people verify that Thomas Mack was the program leader um, of Aquarius from the mid-70s to, um, to like 92 or 93. I could be wrong on those dates. So that's that's where I got that information from. Um, Dr. Glenn Wood, if I'm if I if I'm getting that right, he is um, uh, the expert on the majestic the MJ12 documents. I don't think we should get into that; it's too lengthy. Mm -hmm. right. But he made a it's great a statement. Yeah, show. he made a great. <laughs> he did the scientific study of them. You should read the 2007 study of the MJ12 documents. But he says that look, these security codes, these these program names do change, and he and he gives the caveat: look. It might not be Aquarius anymore. It might not be um, Majestic. You know, we've had heard Zodiac battered around the past year. I believe Zodiac is the new name of the new recovery team. That's my opinion from my little bit of investigation on that. So, you know, let's not pounce on each other. No pun intended. <laughs> because names have changed or we found a different name. I'm not saying that you are. I'm just saying like, I, I, I'm telling people, accept all of this with an open mind and know that the government yeah. is fluid, changes these names, 
And there might be names for other programs and other facilities. So just be mindful of that for anybody that wants to further investigate or research what uh, we are talking about today. This is very, very difficult material to talk about. I mean, I, I told one of my colleagues about John today and about the nature of what he was studying and he, he didn't laugh or anything like that. He's just a real gentleman, uh, former uh, U.S. Army uh, soldier as well, um, seen combat time and all that. But it, it's just he, he is, you know, not the normal person. A lot of people do laugh. It's very, very difficult to talk about because it's difficult to as Nathan, you know, has done a big study on this. It's very difficult for people to expand their mind and open their their mind to something that's outside their awareness. Um, also, I want to say to the people in the chat, we only have about 20, 25 minutes left with John. We're going to get to you. Um, so we're going to get to your questions and I do. Yeah, I love answering questions from strangers. So let's, yep. yeah, that's great. We gonna, we gonna get to them. I guarantee. Um, but <laughs> John, um, yes. if you were to, to let's make some bullet points here. Like we're working mm -hmm. on your resume. Sure. Or, or like your military performance report. You only get to yeah. the end of the page for these one-line bullets. Really pissed me off uh, when I write those. <laughs> um, if you were to bullet point three things that, that are the most convincing in your mind that you've uncovered, because you've, you've dove deeper into this than any of us have, uh, and you jumped into it not having decided either way whether it was true or not. So what, what if you had a bullet point Give me three bullet points. FOIA document from the government where it states that they built uh, the S2 Alpha complex at Papoose Lake in the 60s. The government told us this. Number two, the email from the project manager, manager of that facility and program called Aquarius um, saying that he was the project manager and people, two people, um, uh, vetting and, and, and agreeing that, yes, I, I knew Thomas Mack. He was the program manager. It, if, it, it harkens back to a Larry David episode. Cheryl comes into the room and tells Larry, you slept with my sister? And Larry David said, Why, who, who told you that? And Cheryl goes, my sister. People <laughs> ask me, well, John, how do you know Project Aquarius is real? From the manager of Project Aquarius? Where? Oh, and they, and they, scurry, they scurry away. So the government in a FOIA document telling me the building was there, the project manager's email, the project manager naming a couple of people, including the, the name Project Aquarius, and um, the, the vernacular, the verbiage, and the and FBI police lie detection experts telling me that Victor, the whistleblower, is one unquestionably a whistleblower. He uses dark humor. He uses a checking, which liars do not do. Liars, liars want a free stream of, of conversation. They don't want to stop and check and question. And it, it was it, it was Victor that um, really for the, the 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 film in Aquarius really solidified it. The number four one, the tangent, the the one that's got tangible evidence is what has been done to me. And I'm not doing this and saying this to make this story melodramatic. Um, you know, you know when you have touched the third rail. So my email's being swiped off my phone. The, you know, the, the, the phone call 
you talk too much. Other intelligence insiders telling me I've been marked like marked like they know of you. A man, an agent with the National Air and Space Intelligence Center at Wright Pat, texting me on the signal app. You are on a Pentagon watch list because of wow. your FOIA request, the nature of your, this is an agent of the government, special Pentagon watch list because of your FOIA request, the nature of your FOIA request, and the questions that you submitted to me and my commanding officer. The Defense Intelligence Agency FOIA Department, Andrew, tell his name was Andrew, telling me, your name's on our system, you don't have a file attached to it. What's the big deal with that? Mr. Stewart, you can't get on the system unless you have a file request attached to it. Well, Andrew, what does that mean? Well, somebody came in and removed it. Andrew at the FOIA desk at DIA. I want to ask everyone, wow. and I'm going to shut up. Why is the Defense Intelligence Agency going in and removing a file from a semi-retired 56-year-old grandfather from Chicago? And when you're all driving in your car, having breakfast tomorrow, you're at work, just think of that question. And whatever, the answer probably is going to be because John Stewart has, has touched on something that they do not want to move further down the chain or down the uh, field of, of getting out into the public. So most certainly they uh, that those are excellent. And, and most certainly Thank they you. do not want people to think that, that this is a, a genuine artifact. It's very good. And I want to, I just want to tell everybody out there before I pass it to money, Nathan, if you're going to go and, and, and John may actually have a source. I keep having to share this tweet that has the, the, the documentary in it, the original documentary. Uh, John may have a better link to that than, than what I have, but when you watch it, you can skip past all the Hollywood stuff. Yeah. Um, you right. just really want to get to Victor uh, being interviewed when he stops the interview, when he comes back, you want to listen to the way that he answers questions and the way that he words things. And then also absolutely give the Hollywood folks a chance to analyze the video. Um, then you're going to get uh, John. Is it John Dean? No, Robert Dean, Robert yes. Dean. Listen, former intelligence officer, you're going to get his take on the video uh, based on what he was read into um, and the way that the way that he speaks about the video. And maybe the most compelling thing is is, again, when Victor watches the video, because first you're going to see it unedited, unedited. In other words, uh, you're going to see it through without anybody talking. I would turn the sound off so that you don't have the melodramatic music. Um, playing in your head as you're watching the, right. the, the reaction because right. there's no voices that you're going to hear. It's just melodramatic music. And then watch it back when Victor goes and he, I guess uh, for lack of a better word, he sort of guides you through it and tells you what's happening. Um, so that would be my recommendation to everyone. Um, so Charles, we're going to get to that on Bob Lazar as well, but let, let's get money, Nathan in there and then we'll hit up uh, listener questions. And I just mentioned one thing that you mentioned Bob yeah, Lazar. Yes, don't, folks, I hope you appreciate my honesty. I'm just telling you, I wouldn't bet all of the money that Bob Lazar was never at S4 in Area 51. I believe Take that he was. Want, that's, that's, um, don't yeah. bet all your money that he wasn't there. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> hmm. Why would I say that? I'm just saying. 
So yeah, I've I've never I don't think anyone can ever point to a moment when they've heard me say I don't think he was there. I think he was there, and I have my reasons. But go ahead, Nathan. Yeah, and John, I was uh, you know, you you've probably watched this interview footage more than anybody else. You spent you know you spent countless hours staring at the footage frame by frame. I'm sure. Um, you know, some would call that almost like a meditation, you know, like, you know, where, where you're kind of going over it over and over again. And I'm wondering what sort of personal feelings have arisen in you in, in connecting with the being that is in the, this footage. I mean, is there, oh, wow. we, great question. <laughs> really abs- you know, we think so abstractly about these, you know, these aliens, but you know, if you, if you sat with the truth that if this is actually genuine, who is this guy? You know, this that's is, uh, right. We don't, we don't, you know, we're not, they're going uh, to think we shop liver. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we're um, not chop liver over here. Thank you for that question. People laugh at me. I don't care. I am living the best life I have ever been. I am the happiest I have ever been in my life. And you're looking at a guy whose childhood fantasy at nine years old was to be a pro wrestler. And I was. I wanted to drive a stock car. I went to a stock car racing school for two days and I did it. I wanted to play college football. Those are my three dreams. I did them all. I've had, I had great parents, a great childhood. I've got a beautiful wife of 25 years. God bless her soul. Three beautiful children. I am the happiest I have ever been in my life. And it was because in my opinion, the success that I had of trying to find who Victor was, his identity, sorry, scratching my head, and this this being where I had to, you know, you have to think, well, what are the spiritual, religious, and cos, you know, cosmic implications of the fact that for the first time in history, we have a extraterrestrial off-planet being on video. And when I was in Cuba, I had a, uh, I, I have to word this correctly. When I was in Cuba, I had a retired member of the church <laughs> who said to me, if you can prove this conclusively, this film, then unless someone had, I'll never forget he said this, and he had Parkinson's disease, unless someone has the Polaroid of the crucifixion or a motion picture film of Moses parting the Red Sea, you have the most important historical document in human history. So when you, when I sit back and say, this, you know, grandfather from Chicago, he's the guy that was going to open King Tut's tomb. I'm sorry. I, you know, you probably wanted a guy from MIT or a archaeological professor or something. You know, you get what you get. I'm, <laughs> you know, part Chesty Ventura and part George Costanza. I'm sorry. John, this is two, who, this is who's going to break the story. So that's two things. So that's what came out. Were you in Cuba with Michael and Fredo Corleone? Just answer no. yes or no. No. Okay. No. Okay. I just want to make sure that you weren't there during the the fall of Batista and all that. Um, that was the second but, day where Americans were allowed in. It was. But his <laughs> his question though really was: Were you? I, I think what he's asking: Were you moved by this being personally? Of course I was, because if this is real, then this being, um, who the Greys say, yes, we do have a soul. So this being is light years from its planet possibly it's it's a family possibly it's you know it's, it's life there on on whatever said planet that um that it came from 
And, and it's stuck here in an underground facility with nincompoops trying to figure out, you know, yeah. uh, what the object is in the Indian Ocean. I mean, can you just imagine? And then trying to traverse the language gap, which I've had conjecture, you know, stories that are just conjecture, but of how difficult it was translating the being's thoughts into English, even though it was thought projection. So, yeah, so I felt very, um, I felt poorly um, that that being was in captivity. Absolutely. Um, and, and the fact that it was in a different atmosphere. I mean, can you just imagine you're almost like in a, a air chamber on a different planet and other beings are looking at you and questioning you and then leaving you alone for months at a time. That's an awful existence. So I All hope right. that answers your question. It, and it has affected me, but it has affected me. The overall, the overall investigation has affected me positively is what I was trying to say. That's fantastic. Uh, I want to get to the listener questions. Thank you, John, for that thoughtful answer. Sure, and sure. Obviously, Money Nathan, you you wowed yet another guest. Um, so uh, does this have anything to do with the JFK getting murdered? I, I, that one is just is just really funny. Uh, I will, Charles, direct you to uh, Rob Reiner's latest work on that. Um, Great podcast, get, by the way. Yeah, um, I can't think of it now, but Rob Reiner and Soledad O'Brien did. Who killed um, JFK on Spotify? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, they've done a fantastic job on covering people yeah. behind the scenes that uh, are not known. Then uh, they piece it together pretty well. I didn't so, hear. Why are we talking about JFK now? One of the one of the listeners uh, asked you that question. So what's so the question? Why. Because I can answer it. it. I, it I have an answer. To, does any but does this have anything to do with the JFK getting murdered? So. It it does to the fact that JFK wanted cooperation with Russia and wanted to oh. hand Russia um, what we knew about the extraterrestrial phenomenon. What did that do? Did that make the Chicago mob in the or New Orleans mob want want to kill JFK? No, but it was part and parcel, which helped grease the intelligence community tracks to let this event happen. Um, so the intelligence community, the CIA, um, uh, you know, and, and members of, of the majority 12, Majestic MJ 12 mm -hmm. were like, this man is a danger. He's going to be befriend and, and allow in, you know, communism, um, uh, to Interpol into our politics. He's going to give away our biggest, um, weaponized secret, the, the UFO technology, and he wants to go to the moon with Russia. So we heard there's something going on in Dallas. We're going to help facilitate that. So that is how, and you have to believe me what I'm talking about. That is how JFK and his uh, desire to on the UFO phenomenon helped in his assassination. And he also, with Barry Goldwaller, created the DIA, which was trying to usurp the CIA and all other agencies to get information for their own selves. So that was Secret. just like, he's gone too far. We know what the Chicago mob is, is planning on doing at the behest of Lyndon Johnson, who I believe was the, the, the top of the pyramid. And they said, we got to let this happen. And you could see that nothing that that whole day could have only have happened if the CIA or the intelligence community in Washington, D.C. was complicit. Um, Charles is also asking, um, are some of the aliens from the future? Did, did you 
do you have anything on the answers that was provided um, by this this being? Sitting Budget. in a cafe, um, having lunch with a leaker, and I'm seeing documents, and I see P forty two thousand, P thirty eight thousand. Um, whether he had these, created these, or just was showing me, I said we have fifty two thousand aliens. He's like, no, that's thirty two thousand years into the future. Like, wait, excuse me. He's like, John, um, a lot of these beings are interdimensional. Stephen Greer will tell you they are all to some degree interdimensional because you cannot traverse space of those distances without, um, and I'm using my vernacular, without intersplicing into in different dimensions um, right. and then getting into the earth to our dimension. Um, and I thought that was a very believable statement by Stephen Greer, who knows a hell of a lot more about this than me. And yes, many military intelligence people have told me many of these beings are interdimensional. And that has piqued the secrecy of Christian, the Christian branch at the Pentagon, who wants to keep this, you know, secretive and slow disclosure because they feel that not only are they interdimensional, but that they also might be demonic. And I don't mean demonic devil pitch horns and pitchforks and hooves and red cape, but that they are, that they might not have our best interest at heart. And some of them that, that are just truly demonic. And that's some of the, the religious um, pro-religious people in the Pentagon believe that it scares them. Hence the, the soft, the soft, slow disclosure. Yep, we've heard that for years. Um, we want to pass on a question from Chris Wolford. Chris Wolford is a longtime uh, experiencer and investigator and, and well-respected before this sort of latest boom in ufology. So Chris Wolford, uh, he says, uh, uh, ask about the TF TRW official behind the glass during oh. said interview. Could no. you talk about that? Okay. <laughs> One of the men in the in the viewing gallery. Um, I looked up his name. He was retired. I'm like, well, this is, this is a hoax. The, the document that mentions well, who the being was, the time and date, all the men's names watching the interview. And um, I'm talking to a, a UFO investigator and, and he's like, well, what did he do when he retired? I'm like, well, it says here he works worked at the time of the interview for TRW. And the investigator's like, you truly don't know anything, do you? I'm like, why? TRW, I thought, was like the credit reporting agency from the car business. <laughs> He's like, no, TRW is like the black secret op firm of the government. They do more black projects than anyone. If anything, the fact that he was working for TRW at the time proves that this document could be real. May I also say that at TRW, he was in mapping and contouring. And we were told that the questions being asked of this being at that moment by the De Department of Naval Intelligence, DIA runs the facility, the Department of Naval Intelligence were asking the questions. That's why their name was on the bottom. That they were trying to ask the, uh, the alien, the, the being, of an object that was submerged in the Indian Ocean. So maybe you would probably have somebody familiar with mapping and contouring from TRW right. who had this high Q security clearance 
to digest what the bean was saying. So again, when you talk about different information, so I have a document in, 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 in a Google search that says he worked for TRW. I have a researcher telling me TRW is this super secret branch of the government. And then I have another person telling me what the questions were asked to this bean, which re relates back to the guy being from TRW. Those are the kind of interspliced stories that have happened constantly in this investigation. This is great stuff. It's good. And, and, Thank you. Um, so uh, we have some more for you. Charles has two more. Uh, is Dan Birch telling the truth? I'm sorry. I'm not familiar with who Dan Birch is. B-U-R-S-C-H. Birch. Dan Birch. Yeah. Formerly Danny Crane. I don't mm -hmm. know how you can talk about biology and some of the most, some of the, some phraseology that is so complex coding facility names he maps out all four levels underneath s2 alpha uh i don't think dan burrish is lying i think the overall narrative that he tells is completely true is he a little as my yiddish friends would say mashugna <laughs> is John Stewart a little? Yes, I'm crazy. I was a professional wrestler, and you're wrestling crazy. You're crazy for getting in, getting or you're in. crazy after you get out of school. You know, um, do some of does some of his story not make sense or add up? Or but Dan Burrish and Bob Lazar, I have been told, is are are headlights in the fact that at one point the government loved to acquire and hire genius level individuals with sketchy educational backgrounds. So if they went rogue, if they came out, if they leaked, the government could say, he doesn't have a PhD in microbiology. Bob Lazar didn't go to MIT. Remember what I'm saying here. So I believe a large portion of Danny Bursch's story. And in the email from Major Thomas Mack, the project leader of Aquarius, he said, yes, Danny, Captain Danny Crane was down in S4 with me. And nobody asked him about Danny Crane. So, <laughs> uh, you know, Dan in Burris, addition, I don't know why you're not calling me back or emailing me back, but I believe your story to a large part. Well, thank you. I, I was told, uh, wholly unfamiliar with that. So thank you for yeah, uh, sure. enlightening us um, as well. Um, Victor speaks to this. Um, he speaks to that uh, in, in the video. He talks about the kind of people he was surrounded with. He uh, specifically the leadership that he did not believe were up to the task of what uh, they were being asked to do. Um, so again, it's very important for anybody to watch the documentary. And I think Deb has provided a link for us, and we will put that in the show notes. Uh, if anybody to can episode. too, when the bean mm -hmm. is coughing, zoom in. So you can just see the head. You will see that mouth snap open and close, snap open and close. This is 1991 alleged animatronic animatronics. And you see that mouth open and close like a fish. That's you also, okay. We're going to get to the rest of the questions uh, real okay. quick, but I also sure. just want John to talk real quickly. You had a version of this, John, that was a blue ish. That yes. was not darkened 
right. by the production company wherein you could see the armpit, you could see right. more of the torso. Can you, right. how is your copy different than theirs? That is the original, that is what the original version of Victor's VHS tape looked like when he presented it to Rocket Pictures in 1996. How did you get it? Well, that part of that is in the documentary. They show about a okay. five second clip of the bluish. Video. Okay, yes. got it. Yes, Victor, who came to Rocket Pictures in a taxi cab, he did not drive. Retired government employee who, who would have had to have coordinate this whole video, getting the animatronic being built, the doctors, wardrobe, renting the stage, the cameras, editing, sound, special effects, a retired government biologist who didn't drive. Does that sound possible? I don't know. Maybe it does. Nathan, take it away on the read here. All right, so uh, this question is, uh, do you leave any room for this to be performance art? And if you're told it is and was art, will you accept the answer? Absolutely. The biggest caveat of myself in the UFO community that no one could ever say any different is that John Stewart approached the Victor alien interview simply wanting to find the truth. And I think we did. By every structure of the imagination. Will I ever... Will we ever know the absolute truth? No. Why? I don't have the animatronic puppet and I don't have the bean in formaldehyde. So we will never, ever, ever, ever know what the absolute 100% truth is. But I never pigeonholed my investigation towards it being the truth. And I ran towards skeptics. I call up these special effects people that say it's fake. They find out it's me on the phone and they're mesmerized why someone would call them who is deconstructing their investigation. They're not <laughs> right. deconstructing my investigation. They're helping me. They just wanted to know the truth. So I ran. What UFO researcher can say this? I say I'm not in that intelligent. I say I don't know. I'm not sure. I did only wanted to find the truth. I think I found the entire truth. And there's always an open door for me to be wrong on either side. And I've always, no one's going to hurt my feelings. You know, if you wheel out the animatronic doll and I'm not hinting at what conclusion we came to, um, you know, and we know who Victor was. He was the caretaker of the beans who interacted with dignitaries and other officials down in S4 who would show them the bodies or level two of S4. He was the caretaker of the biological oh. ebens in the liquid tubes. And he would interact with dignitaries like Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld or generals from the Pentagon who were allowed to go down there. He would explain what the beans were, you know, where they came from, all about them. This is, we found out, why Victor's hostility towards Rumsfeld and Cheney, because he interacted with them and they rubbed him the wrong way. Wow, I've never I didn't Thank know you, that. Ladies and gentlemen. I, yeah, yeah. No, I mean I I didn't know that uh that we knew the nature of Victor's work. So where um and so uh horse lover fat, so there you go. I, I see you putting performance art. He answered your question, he approached it with a skeptical eye, and totally. he is not a hundred percent convinced either way. Obviously, he believes it's real or it wouldn't be here. Um you know, real um before before we go into me, you know, um, 
John, what, how did you discover that he was the caretaker? Uh, through three, three different sources. And okay. I, I can't just talk about that now because I'll be in violation of my contract. No, no, And no. again, we there's another never... person in England that, you know, he is totally convinced it's real too. My simple point is we will never, ever, ever be able to tell the American public, yes, it's absolutely because we don't have the body. We don't have the puppet. Yeah. Whatever one you think it is. So appreciate the fact that I do understand that. But my question to you is, while you're eating breakfast tomorrow, how could a mid-50s retired biologist with the government who didn't drive a car coordinate an entire production of that three-minute video? And when you can well, answer that, you can take over the investigation. And the, I don't the know whole how thing that's done. Yes. Yes. If, if you're telling me that it's fake, okay. I know for a fact who Victor is. I know his face. I know his name. I know what he did for a living. Three different people. That's that's. So Victor was not an actor. So I want to know how a retired. So if it was fake, I know Victor was not fake. So how did Victor create that three-minute interview session? He had to call central casting, wardrobe, craft catering, rent the studio, call animatronic people, call special effects people for the monitor. He had to get wardrobe. He had to get accounting. He had to he had to uh, get transportation to get people to the to the sound stage where they film this. I mean, are you kidding me? Are you listening yeah. to me? And then he got paid around forty thousand dollars from Rocket Pictures, a production <laughs> that in nineteen ninety six would have cost $100,000. Now, we've been told that the bean could have been created for $10,000. Some people told us $100,000, $150,000. I've had FX people tell me I could have done it for ten. dollars Okay, irregardless, $100,000 production coordinated by a government biologist who didn't drive, who gets paid forty grand. You do the math, <laughs> and when you're having your eggs and coffee tomorrow, scratch your head and try and digest how that's even possible. Hopefully it's on a New York hard roll with the poppy seeds, although it could pop, make you pop positive. Right. Nathan, uh, and that's not to um, pick on my Chicago friend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, Nathan, what what was my reaction when uh, when I, I posted this video for you guys? If you tell the, the audience. Yeah, well, there. I mean, there are two things that stick out to me um, on your reaction. So one is, um, you know, you you relate to us like how em empathetic you were to this being you know like how you could feel the distress yeah. that he was going through yeah. um but the other thing that i i was really fascinated by and you know julia mentions this in the chat as well or kind of gets at this and that you were saying you know a lot of people critique this because it's so dark and all that kind of stuff but this is actually how it would be done it would be done in a darkened setting like that and i was wondering dj if you would speak just a little bit to that because I think you have a a perspective that maybe people don't bring to this video that makes that get, makes it make make more sense. At least it, it makes makes more sense to me in in the the way that you view it. I, I'm not. Thank you, Nathan. I'm I'm that is accurate. What he said. I'm not cleared up to the level that those guys are. I am cleared up to the TSSCI level. Um, I have 30 years in government. I have been inside of. Um, top secret programs, nothing ever to do with non-human intelligence or UFO, not, not the nature of my work. 
but I, I know the lingo and I know how people talk. Uh, I know how they would answer certain questions. I know the archetypes and personalities because I have 30 years in it, which is most of my adult life. Um, and so that's why Victor struck me first before I saw the being. When I saw the being, Amen. there were two things that I got out of that. When people say it, you know, performance art, you know, and I, I spoke with uh, a friend of mine the other day who does films. He's done some Bigfoot films. I don't want to name him because I don't want to, I don't want to uh, call out his name, you know, in opposition to him because I really <laughs> dig and respect this guy. He's become a great friend of mine, but he said, it doesn't, that's not how you would do it. That's not how you would film something right there. And I said, no, that's exactly right. That's not how you would do it, but that's how the government does it. And the room was, was set up like that so that you could not view anybody in the room and independently identify anyone in the room by sight. Um, the only thing you're interested in there is the subject. And that's why, um, first of all, uh, it had to do with the, the lighting for the creature that uh, apparently they don't like the bright sunlight. So there's that. Oh. And then the second thing is that um, this is exactly how it would go. You didn't see changing camera angles. You didn't see the dorky guy smoking a cigarette like you see in the preamble. And and so um, that you see the crawl at the bottom, you know, where, like he said, that's a uh, sort of a secret um, underling to the Office of Naval Intelligence, DNI is. And then you saw the timer on it. And it just looks like very poor quality. Uh, and that's exactly what you would expect to see in a situation like that, particularly in 1991 when it was shot six years before uh, this man retired, made sure that his pension was going into his bank account. And then he got the film off to the production company. And he even says at the at the end of the if you watch the video all the way through, he says, I think you got your money's worth. That that should be it. You know, I got what you you got, what I you, you know, you paid me for because it's very difficult for him to talk about. Um, and uh, me, another thing personally about me is that I'm a, a bit of an empath. And I felt, and so some of you might laugh at this, and I really don't care if you laugh at it. But I felt like I, I connected and, and could feel uh, what that thing was going through. Um, and it's, uh, it's it, it doesn't make you proud. Um, not not the the fact that uh, I'm very proud of the work I've done, you know, with the government in and out of the military. But when things like that happen, it's it's not something um, that you uh, you know you pat yourself on the back. So that's all I've got on that. Yeah, that was great. I mean, yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense to me, right? The way that that is framed and that minimal perspective that we have on the, on the being. And, uh, you know, we we're so, you know, but this is sort of the problem. And I know John, you probably dealt with this a lot as well. There's so much content that exists out there yeah. that who knows how much of the content that exists is actually genuine. Cause we're just sort right. of flooded and inundated with all of this material. Yeah. And, and it's sort of like uh, the comment that Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick makes about how, uh, he likes to repeat, you know, we found no evidence of extraterrestrial or alien technology. And I'm like, well, what, what would we compare it to? What, what, to know what it's not, we have to know what it is. And we don't even know what that looks like. So it's an interesting statement to make. 
Yeah, that's uh, that, that's correct. And um, and you know, there, there's so much noise out there, uh, so, and that's why I encourage people uh, to not only watch the film, listen to Victor, listen to his verbiage, his vernacular. It is you'll never hear anyone speak more intelligently in in your life, in my opinion. And um, he's got true emotions and true visceral reaction and 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 immediate answers to to questions that can only be garnered from somebody that was experiencing in this program. And at the bottom of the uh, indeed, I think you'll appreciate this. Now, remember, let's say this was hoaxed by a screenwriter who's 25 years old on the bottom is DNI slash 27. So I never knew what 27 meant. Victor said it's a cataloging system. I didn't believe what he said that in 97. On the Ronald Reagan briefing is a number 27. I asked my intelligence community person, I said, what is 27? He said, oh, that's the security designation, Yankee White. I said, what's Yankee White? He said, Yankee White is anyone that deals or has contact with the president of the United States. I said, well, unpack that. He said, is there 27 on the Victor film? I said, yes. He said, oh my God. He goes, well, that means that someone in that room or someone viewing this was going to take this and show the president or else they couldn't watch it if they didn't have the Yankee white clearance. When I, my list got unredacted, unbeknownst to me, the list of men that the DIA leaker sent me, people thought was bullshit. All of a sudden, everyone's seeing the names going, oh, that's an actual military intelligence person. And who was in the room was a Admiral uh, Ned Schaefer. Do you know what Ned Schaefer did that date and that alien vid interview? He was the Joint Chiefs of Staff intelligence liaison to Colin Powell. We have him in the Oval Office with Colin Powell as a briefing liaison with George H. Bush. So this is why 27 was on the bottom of that film, because uh, Admiral Schaefer, Colin Powell were, were going to speak about it to George Bush, or they just simply had contact with the president. And that was the security level. If you didn't have Yankee White, you could not have watched that video. How could a screenwriter in 96 know what 27 Yankee White is, know that in 2022, I would get a list that had somebody who dealt with the president and was the Joint Chiefs liaison. I mean, are, are you, are you for, for, for real? I mean, would that even, is that even possible? Um, so that was, to me, the bombshell of the entire investigation, that we had a man who was connected with the president, was in the Oval Office, connected to Colin Powell, and he was in that viewing gallery, hence the number 27 on that film, which was digital overlay graphics placed there in the Groom Lake Photo Lab three days later. And you're going to hear Robert Dean, uh, the former intelligence officer, viewing this video yes. on camera for the first time. And he says, man... He is incredulous. He's like, you guys really got your hands on something very sensitive here. Correct. He's like, you, 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 you really did. I don't know how you got it. He said, I don't know who you got it from. And frankly, I don't want to know who you got it from. 
He said, but you, I think you got your hands on the genuine article here. So, and he says, you got one of the little guys. This is like someone showing yeah. me slides of Chevy Camaros. Oh, that's the LZ 71. Immediately he reacts to, oh, that's yeah. one of the little <laughs> yeah. guys. I, I looked at my friend who watched it in my condo in 1997 in downtown Chicago. I said, it was, he totally recognized it and gave it his own. His, we, psychologically, we have, yeah, we have our own inner dictionary. And and when he he re, 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 reflected right to his inner dictionary and said, "You've got one of the little guys," because that's what he in his brain determined he was going to call that when he saw these this type of being years ago. Come on, it it, it really yeah and yeah because Come he on. had he had been briefed, um, but oh. uh, it it it's extraordinary. But um, we are out of time. We're going to go with okay. cabbie goodbyes, which means each one of the cabbies is going to bid you a, for, a farewell with some commentary, and we're each going to thank you. But uh, starting with Debs, go ahead, ma'am. Yeah, I had a lot more questions, um, but I or guess... Round I'll two. That, yeah, <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll hold that off. Thank you for sharing your investigation with us, um, despite, you know, the, the fact that you have dealt with, as you said, people who... Um, are skeptical. I, um, we can always appreciate the people who are dedicated to finding out the truth and to the work. So thank you for being with those people willing to do the work. You're thank welcome. You. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. Nice meeting you. Money, Nathan. Uh, John, the word that you used, uh, I think, at the beginning, t uh, tenacity. I mean, it's it's everything that you exude, and it's uh, it's an honor to have you on the show. Um, I really admire the amount of work that you put into this and the passion that you have for it. And I think you've got something really valuable here. And I appreciate your time tonight and for educating us on this and, and getting the word out. And uh, I look forward to the more more things that you continue to uncover with this. So great work. Thank you. Nice meeting you. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. Uh, John, I have to uh, uh, echo the sentiments of my cabbie co-host here. It was an honor to have you. Really enjoyed it. Uh, I'm already uh, thinking about a round two, just, you know, waiting for that time uh, when you want to come back. Um, we'll sure. try to uh, connect you up with uh, other colleagues that want to want to speak with you and also Thank get you. it. And and then we'll we'll we're definitely want to have you back on. Uh, you definitely okay. got a, a home here at cab. So um Thank you so much for uh, spending your time and sharing your time to tell us and, and putting in, as Deb said, Deb's a researcher. She spends many hours a week doing this. She's collated and compiled and, and built a website. So um, on behalf of uh, the audience out there for Julie in the chat, thank you, everybody. Give us a like and a subscribe, but thank you, everybody, for showing up to welcome John uh, along with us. And on behalf of John and Debs and Nathan, this is DJ saying peace out, one love. We'll see you down the road. And as always, we're wondering what's up around the bend. <laughs>